Hi, I'm Sally Moore. I'm involved in the children's ministry here, and I'm going to be reading some scripture with you. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 9. When Sambalit heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite who was, with his, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their walls of stone. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Thank you, Skyly. Appreciate that. Great job. Well, when I was 30 years old, God called me into full-time ministry. I had been a studio musician, commercial musician in L.A., and, uh, and, uh, and yet God made it really clear that he wanted me to become the high school youth pastor at the church, the large church that I was at in Southern California. And so I was pretty excited about it. Uh, it was a pretty significant career change for me, but I figured if God called me, who was I to say no and to argue with him, right? Only nothing prepared me for the opposition that I ran into from some of the people within the church. You see, as I said, I was 30 years old. I was still single. I was sporting longer musician hair at the time, and I hadn't yet been to seminary. And all three of those things became lightning rods for some of the parents and some of the people there at the church. Uh, they weren't so sure that God had called me to that position. And I have to tell you, I was just taken aback. I was totally surprised by, by some of the people that came out against me from the church. And it made me question what in the world I was doing. I was leaving this career, potentially very lucrative career, in the music industry to take on full-time ministry, only to get shot at again and again and again over time. And I thought, who needs this? Maybe I don't belong in ministry. Well, God taught me back then a very important lesson that he's continued to teach me because I've had to relearn it and relearn it and relearn it. Uh, what is the main point of today? And sometimes we wait till the end to tell you. I'm going to tell you from the very beginning really where we're headed today. We'll end with it and we'll see it laced throughout. And that is this. If you have an outline and you want to follow along, here's your first little fill in the blank, but it's right at the top. Never let opposition keep you from doing what God calls you to do. Never ever let opposition keep you from doing what God calls you to do. 
This is a very, very important thing, and, and we're going to see this idea spelled out in detail in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. Now, this is our fourth week of walking through Nehemiah, the, the book that we've been studying, and, and uh, it's been a great, uh, a great study. It's, it's really a book that, that features Nehemiah being called to return to Jerusalem from basically from Persia, where they'd been led to captivity decades before. They had been conquered by the Babylonians. The walls had been just totally broken down. Jerusalem had just been destroyed, led a whole bunch of them off to captivity. And Ezra had come back, and now Nehemiah was being called to come back to rebuild the walls and help Jerusalem kind of start becoming a real city again. And that's really the feature in what's, what Nehemiah is about. So we've seen Nehemiah come back from Persia. He, Persia, he rallies the Hebrews to begin building the walls of, Hebrew, uh, the walls of Jerusalem. Now, last week, Fritz shared with us out of chapter 3 how Nehemiah rallied the troops, rallied not the troops, just the people of Jerusalem to start building the walls in all its different sections. And uh, he talked about that they did it amazingly fast. When you think about it, he described how big and thick the walls were and everything, that it was a 52-day process to get the walls around the entire, uh, entire city of Jerusalem. Pretty amazing, considering that they were not expert wall builders. None of them were, right? But they came together. And so it was a, a, great, uh, a great talk last week, a great thing to look at about teamwork and pulling together, using what you have and answering the call of God there. But lest you think that the walls went up in 52 days with very little opposition, or maybe it just, you know, you think maybe it was some hard work and you get a little sore back and go to bed and get up the next day. Chapter 4 and beyond, but we're going to look at chapter 4 today, lets us see that those 52 days were full of opposition and difficulty, beyond just the difficulty of figuring out how to build a wall. And so we're going to take a look at that today and, and see in more detail what that's about as we look at this concept of opposition. I'm going to read to you all of chapter 4. Scotty did a great job, but I want to read and pause a little bit and make sure that we understand it. This is a narrative of what's going on here. They, you know, Nehemiah has come back and they're starting to build the walls. But when Sambalat, one of the leaders of the local people groups, okay, there's people groups around Jerusalem here. Some of them are rather large and some of them are military and such. Well, when Sambalat heard that they were building the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed, ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates associates in the army of Samaria. And he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? He's laughing. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Well, one of the other leaders, Tobiah, the leader of the Ammonites, he joins in. He's at his side and saying, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down the walls of stones. Ha! Ah, they're, they're laughing. We see the opposition here begin with verbal mocking and abuse. So Nehemiah responds with prayer. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So, it goes on to say, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Well, now we're going to see the opposition pick up. The verbal opposition didn't work, and now it goes from here. But when Sambalat, Tobiah of the Ammonites, right? The Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, all these people groups, they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed in the wall. They were very angry now, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. 
But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. And that's where Skyly read, and I'm going to continue from there, because now we're going to see the Hebrews express their discouragement, because now the threats have really upped, and all of a sudden fighting and, and killing and, and opposition in a big way comes up. It says, in the meanwhile, the people uh, in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This is getting hard. Also, our enemies said, they say, they're telling Nehemiah, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and they'll kill and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. I think that would put an end to the work, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, oh, we're so afraid. And then the Jews who lived near them, near the wall area, came and told us 10 times over again and again and again. They're discouraged. They say, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Nehemiah, you can't be in every place at once. We're in trouble. Well, Nehemiah hears their fears and discouragement, so, so he leads with strength now. Therefore, Nehemiah is writing, he says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places where they're most vulnerable, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, to everyone, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. But when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men, again, this is Nehemiah, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. They've got their, they've got their fighting gear on, right? The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. <laughs> and, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Had to get in the way, right? But that's what they were committed to doing. But the men who sounded the trumpet, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. So whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Basically, Nehemiah says, you may be working on things, you're fine, but if you hear the trumpet over here, know that we're being attacked. Drop your trowels, drop your stones, and come running over and join the fight. So that's the system that's set up with this, the plan with the, with the trumpet. So, he says, we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. That's a long work day. They are getting going early and they're going till late. And that time I have also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. No wonder they got it done so fast. They are just dying here, right? Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So here's this amazing account. I know it's rather long, but you have this account of the opposition that comes in Nehemiah moving in, the people complaining, the people afraid, the people tired, and Nehemiah moving in with a plan and a system that, that actually works to meet this opposition. So we see that... Uh, they face this significant opposition. And, and I think for us today, what I want to do now is to go back and dig in a little bit and see what is opposition all about and, and, uh, and then how can we deal with that so we can learn for ourselves today because the truth is, as I describe my call to ministry, 
I've had many times of opposition, and sometimes it's daily, and I know that we have that as well. So how would God teach us from Nehemiah? So we're going to start with Nehemiah's lessons on opposition itself. Nehemiah's lessons on opposition itself. And so that's kind of our first point. We're just going to take a brief look at opposition and then figure out how to deal with it, okay? So first of all, we can expect opposition when you're doing something that really matters. You should expect opposition when you're doing something that really matters, that's really a measurement, really, uh, of, of what's important is, is there opposition? Because you will always have opposition when you're doing something that's important to God. Simply expect it. Now, Nehemiah and his people, they faced oppression and opposition, and so will you. If you take on something that matters to God, um, if it's something that's important, if it matters, you're going to be opposed, whether it's small or whether it's large. And this is simply because when you're following God and, and his plan, you have a bitter enemy in the devil. The devil and the demons are against what you're doing if you're making a difference for God. So Satan will be against your taking any ground for God, and he's going to fight you, and he's going to fight you. Now, the truth is the world is against the Lord in anything of God, so you'll have opposition all over the place. So I sometimes wonder why we're surprised when it comes. Man, I was just, I was trying to do what God asked me to do, and the whole world just kind of blew up on my face. It seemed so unfair. I was just trying to serve God. Doesn't it make sense? In fact, I have to be honest, if you're not facing any opposition in life, maybe you should ask yourself if you're taking significant ground for God, because you should expect it. I don't mean every second of every day, but the truth is when we're making a difference, you should expect opposition. And so we just maybe even need to ask ourselves, what am I doing for the Lord that's putting myself available in a sense for opposition? Okay, so we should expect opposition, but second, we need to realize that opposition, it may come in many forms, as we see that it happened in Nehemiah. The, the opposition came verbally with the abuse and the mocking and the threats and all those sorts of things. And, and the truth is that although sticks and stones may break my bones, we've all learned that words can hurt a great deal, can't they? You know, that old saying, sticks and stones, the words can be devastating, and so we know that to be true, but for Nehemiah and those people's case, when the verbal opposition doesn't work to stop the building, and then it switches to physical threats and some indirect things and some aggressive and passive-aggressive behavior, it's really, it's, it's very, um, very real what's there, and opposition may come for you verbally, and it may be direct, and it may be indirect, it may be passive-aggressive, it may attack your reputation, you may be not so ver you know, directly aware of it, but it's over here, and it just kind of comes to undermine you, you hear somebody say what somebody else said, and you're just kind of like, oh, this gets so old. The truth is that all forms of opposition are spiritual warfare. Whatever that is, it's spiritual warfare. It's not just human opposition, it's not just circumstantial. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're trying in the power of the Holy Spirit to stand for God and make a difference, it puts you square in the crosshairs of the enemy, right? The enemy is right there saying, I'm targeting you. It's, it's way beyond physical opposition. It's bigger than that. And in fact, it says here in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6.12 that I wanted to share with you there. And so the truth is that sometimes we see the person as the enemy and we get mad at them, and it's sometimes helpful to step back and realize this is bigger than that person or that circumstance. This is the devil himself. This is Satan and his forces out to, make it, out to, out to impact me, to stop me and to stop the Lord. 
Well, third then, in terms of looking at opposition, we need to know that opposition will keep coming and coming and coming, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I know this is the good news of the morning here, right? Aren't you glad I'm giving it to you? You know, we'd rather not have any opposition, but if we have it, let's get it once and get it over with and move on, right? I mean, let's just wrap it up and make it happen, but it doesn't work that way, not usually. You see, a single attack often doesn't work, but the devil knows that repeated attacks can wear on a person over time. And, and that's what we see here in Nehemiah 4, wave after wave after wave of opposition to try to wear them down to get the results. They get past one, and here comes another. And it made me think it's kind of like a boxer who punches his opponent with a body blow. You know, they're big time, they're really, really good, but I'm not really in to boxing that much, but let's run with this for a second. You know, who's, you know, you're going to try and knock somebody out, but they keep throwing those body blows. Well, you're not going to probably knock somebody out by hitting somebody in the ribs or the, the stomach here through that. And the first time you hit and the second, the third time, seems like it doesn't even impact the guy. It's like, yeah, whatever. I didn't feel that. But they do it from round one to round two to round three to round seven, round eight to round nine to round 10. Because over time, it makes a difference and they add up. Now, I looked this week and found out that the average heavyweight can deliver a punch between 1,200 and 1,700 PSI, pounds per square inch. At the high end, this is on the same level of pressure as an industrial pressure washer. So, so the truth is, no matter how strong a boxer's stomach's midsection is, their stomach is, this will take its toll over time. So the puncher keeps punching and punching and punching down there, knowing that over time it's going to wear them out. And so does our opposition. So does our opposition. First, here comes the first blow. Barely felt it. Here comes the next blow. Didn't really feel that one, but I was aware of it. And here comes the next one, and here comes the next one, because over time, it's going to make an impact. And so they keep coming and never stop until one of two things happen. I I'm going to give you two things, two ways that the opposition will stop. Number one is heaven, meaning that we move on and we graduate into heaven, right? That's afterlife, meaning death. Opposition will happen till death, and then once we get to heaven, woohoo, that's where, what we're created for through that. And the other one is opposition will stop when you stop making a difference for God. You give up. You take a step back. You say, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to stop. This just isn't worth it to me. But opposition will come always until one of those two things happen. And thankfully, God, God does give us some encouragement. He gives us some breaks. It's not like opposition is all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like it. But there are those moments where we're like, life is pretty good right now. Ah, that period of refreshment. God gifts us with those. He knows we need them. But, but those things give us a moment or two to catch our breath, and then we're back into the fight because it is a spiritual battle that's going on in this world right now. And as you stand for Jesus, the opposition is going to come and come. So that's what we can learn about opposition from Nehemiah 4. But I want to not just stop there. I want to look at the steps we can take to be actually victorious in this battle. How do we deal with the opposition that's going to always come? We should expect it. It's going to come in many forms, and it's going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Well, Nehemiah's lessons on dealing with opposition is, first of all, don't be ruled by your emotions. His, the first point here is don't be ruled by your emotions. And this is an important one. We see this in Nehemiah, and, and, and then we'll apply it to ourselves, because the emotions are all too quickly, they qu spring to the surface, and they're almost always our flesh at work when they spring to the surface and we act on them. And it gets in the way of God having his way in you and your situation. And see, we see Nehemiah's enemies, Sambalot and, and the gang. <laughs> New band, right? Sambalot and the gang. They, uh, sorry, my music background gets in the way sometimes. <laughs> 
We see Sambalot, it's a great example of this. If you missed it, they are ruled by their emotions. We see in verse 1, it says, When Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Not just man, he was ticked off. He was greatly incensed. And, and I looked into it, and it says he ridiculed the Jews, and he, he acted on that anger. He, uh, the definition of the Hebrew word for angry, or anger here, means to be hot. I want to read this to get it right. As in, his nose became hot. I want to ask you, have you ever had rage spring up that yielded heat so that your face and your nose became hot? It just kind of comes and the heat happens there, you know, the face gets red. And, and that was Sambalot. And, and when that happens to you, let me ask you, do you usually make thoughtful, rational decisions when you act on when it, ha- when it comes? Probably not, right? Well, that's what Sambalot did. That is not what Nehemiah did. He didn't respond with his emotional reaction. Not that he didn't feel any emotions, but he didn't actually act on those emotions. And we can learn from that because even though his people had emotional reactions, we see that in that passage. They had emotional reactions of fear and insecurity and doubt and all those sorts of things. But Nehemiah, he led them to a better place. And I think for us, we can see that when opposition comes, we can feel the feelings of fear, maybe of insecurity, of mental and emotional weariness. You know, I'm just tired or just in despair. I want to give up. But being ruled by those emotions... And those feelings, they end up paralyzing us. And we stop the work if the fear and the, and the insecurity take root. We stop. It paralyzes us. And then other feelings can come up uh, when faced with opposition. Feelings like anger and frustration. I want to get back at them. And those feelings can cause us to react unwisely. So I, I want you to know that it's okay to experience those emotions. That's going to happen. You can't always help what you feel, right? Just don't be, don't be ruled by them. They're there. Just don't let them come to the top and be ruled by them. Nehemiah wasn't, and he had a better way. And let's look at point number two, his better way. Instead, pause and pray. And I thought, I wondered how many talks, how many messages, how many sermons does the answer be, just pray. I didn't say just pray, but it's because prayer is really powerful. It's a weapon. It's a solace. It's a comfort. It's, it's connection with God. It's relationship. It's so many things. And so that's what we see in this passage again and again. We see Nehemiah multiple times in chapter 4 when faced with opposition. He stops and he prays. Now, I said he stops because the stopping allows the emotions to settle it down a bit. I know that works for me. That pause works wonders for me. When I want to respond quickly and just kind of, you know, the old count to 10 slowly, you know. Well, as long as you're counting to 10, go ahead and now pray. And invite God into that moment where the flesh was going to retaliate or the flesh was going to give up or whatever was going to happen. The emotions spring up powerfully. That pause settles it down. And then the prayer puts the ball back in God's court. And it invites God into the situation. Invites God there. You get the chance to see and hear from God how he wants you to react. God, this is how I'm feeling. God's like, cool. What are you going to do with that? And, and, and now you, the dialogue begins. The prayer acknowledges to God and to you that he's in control of this, not you. He's in control of this, not you. So when faced with opposition, don't let your emotions rule. Instead, pause and pray. And then this spiritual battle belongs to the Lord, not to you or your own effort to fight it. Well, the next thing we can learn from Nehemiah is to ignore or push aside the small things. Ignore or push aside the small things. And this might not be easy to do, but we see this from Nehemiah in a great way. You see, these verbal attacks that started at at Nehemiah and the Hebrews, certainly they had the potential to hurt, but Nehemiah prayed in response, and there's, there's that first step. 
Then he just got on with the work. You know, he, he didn't all of a sudden start throwing back insults and get into a war of words. You know, he didn't get into a Facebook war of words and emotions, you know, and get on, well, well, and I'm going to reply over here. It didn't get ugly like that. He just said, you know what? I'm going to let that slide because we've got work to do. We've got work to do. And he ignored them because by themselves, they weren't big enough to take the time to deal with. See, here's the deal for us. We need to learn to just push aside the small, you know, relatively small oppositions to ignore them. I need to see that certain relatively small things will just they're going to serve to distract us, and they're going to take our eyes off the prize, off the mission and the work. You see, we can either major in putting out all the little fires that pop up, a little time. I'm talking little fires here, a little one over here, one over here. Go put that one out, go put that one out. Oh, here's another one over here. I heard there was one maybe happening over here. I didn't actually hear the trumpet sound of a major attack like in Nehemiah. I just, there's these little fires. And all of a sudden, you spend all your time putting out all the little fires, and you're not getting anywhere. God says, let the little fires be little fires. Let's get to what God's calling us to. And at some point, although emotionally you may feel like I've got to stomp on every little thing that comes up and put them in their place, God says, there's a time and a place to push it aside and just let it happen. And, and we need to pray for discernment to know what we can afford to ignore and what is a bigger issue. Because if it is a bigger issue, that leads us to the next point. We push the small things aside, but the big things, we need to deal with them head on. Okay? So push aside and ignore the small things, but deal with the big issues head on. And for some of us, this is hard. I'd rather not deal head on with anything. I didn't say it was easy. But Nehemiah, he heard about after he's ignoring and just pushing aside the verbals, although he prayed. But he heard about the opposition planning to actually physically attack. And here we see him pray as before. It says he prayed... But then he also takes steps to deal with the potential attack head-on. He didn't just pray, Lord, help them not attack, and then ignore it. He looked at it and went, I could ignore the, the verbals, but this stuff is real. They're arming up over there. We need to do something about this. So he puts armed guards all around the walls being rebuilt. And in fact, he makes sure that they're visible. I think he put, he put the soldiers, you know, the guys in armed, the soldiers, you know, the armed up people in the low parts of the walls, partly because that's where they were the most vulnerable, partly because when they're standing there with a bow and arrow and a big spear and a sword at their side, all around the city that the enemies are going, I can see them. They're ready. I see the spear tips. I see the things going on. And so he put, positioned them all around strategically to be ready for the attack and also to show you aren't going to get this done easily if you come. Their show of ready defense actually deters the enemies from attacking as they planned. So being ready to deal with it head on actually forestalled them and actually put aside the attack. It didn't happen. Big opposition got a head on response. And I think for us to learn from that, remember I said to ignore those small things, but, but sometimes they become big enough that if you try to ignore big opposition, it can lead to bad results. I mean, just flat out, it can go sideways in a hurry. You see, you can't pretend that it's not there, that it will just go away. Certain things need to be dealt with, and they need to be dealt with firmly, wisely, and, and gently in the proper way, but firmly. So prayer is definitely a part of it, but along with the prayer, it's time to put up your guard. You, you need to do that. And, 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 of course, it looks so different in each different situations, but that, that's there. But as we put up the guard, that leads us to our last point, and that is that while gearing up for battle, don't stop the work of your calling. 
while gearing up for battle, don't stop the work of your calling. Now, remember I mentioned part of ignoring the small things was so that we don't end up not getting to the work. But even when the big things come up, when it's time to be a warrior, don't stop the work of your calling. When you're gearing up for battle, that's there. And we see Nehemiah made sure the guards were everywhere. They're armed and ready to go. He set up the system with the trumpet guy. You know, the trumpet player is going to sound at the point of attack so everybody can rally to that point. And yet, even in the midst of the fear of a potential attack, the walls were continuing to be built. Remember, this is the 52-day project that it happens. And uh, in all this opposition, and now they're having to be armed up. And I love this. You know, the verses even tell us that the workers themselves had a weapon in their hands or strapped to their bodies, even as they worked, you know. That just cracks me up. I almost want to bring, you know, something visual here. You know, they've got a trowel as they're, they're picking up a stone to carry it while the sword's whapping them on the side, or they're trying to carry their spear while they're trying to do their work. It's slower. It's harder. It's sacrifice. It's more difficult. They're working longer hours to get it done but they're doing it. And the workers are warriors themselves. It wasn't just the best workers who worked. And it wasn't just the best warriors who stood guard, who stood guard over the best workers. No, the workers were warriors too. They were weaponed up, ready to battle as needed, ready to face the opposition as it arose, even while they continued to do what God called them to do. So this is so important, and it's the last little sub-point here. We are all called to be worker warriors. We're all called to be worker warriors. And I hyphenate those and make up a little expression there, but that's exactly what, what God calls us to do in the midst of difficult lives, difficult times, standing up for Jesus, answering the call of God. Be a worker, be a warrior, but you got to be both. you got to be both. You may be a better worker than a warrior. You say, I'd rather just work. Great, be ready for the fight. You may be a warrior, a better warrior than a worker, but we're called to be both, right? Trowel in one hand, sword in the other. Let's take some ground. This is what this is about. Let's take some ground for God's kingdom. God's calling you to do and to be something. And I want to apply this to each one of us today because these are some kind of concepts that are here for us. And we can see very clearly in Nehemiah, and, and yet when we start looking at our own lives, I want to I paint a picture right now for you. Because what has God called you to do? What a great question. I don't know what I'm God called to do, John. That's such a big thing. Let me tell you some things that you're called to do. Because um, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've asked him into your heart, if you've received his forgiveness and his leadership and said, Jesus, I'm yours, then every single one of us, are called to some of the same things, and there are many of them. I would call these shared callings, but it's yours specifically. It's yours, not just somebody else's. It's yours. You're called to love your neighbor, aren't you? Is that always easy? Do you ever get opposition when you try to love your neighbor in a, in a Jesus way? You're called to serve others. You're called, there's a tough one, to share your hope in Jesus with others. This is your witness to actually, with your life and with your words, share the hope of Jesus. Opposition comes, doesn't it? You're called to live with integrity at work, honestly, to do work the way Jesus would. You run your business that way with your family at all times to live with integrity. Easy or not? Opposition with some of these things? Hmm, yeah, I think so. You're called to live like Jesus, 
John, I don't know what my calling is. I'm telling you right now. And, I, and the list is long, isn't it? Open the Bible. Spend some time in the Word. God, what are you calling me to? Ooh, there's a lot. Now, yea, he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do those things because on our own, it's just self-effort. But he calls us and empowers us to do and to be so many things. That is your calling. And you're going to receive opposition when you try to do those things. You will experience opposition. But let me go beyond that and say each one of us has some unique individual callings as well. And some may be large and some may be small, and they are all significant to the Lord. You know, you may say, gosh, I don't have a big calling. Every calling is a big calling if you're serving Jesus. If he moves you in a very small way, it's because it's important to God. Maybe it's to be involved in a ministry, a large one, a small one. Maybe it's to start a ministry. That's something big. Maybe it's to serve with one of our community partners, Interfaith Food Ministry, some that we love serving with, A New Day, and, and Hospitality House, Living Well, so many that we work with. It's a calling in your life if God calls you to work one day a month to go partner to make an impact in our community. Maybe it's to be, maybe it's to be foster parents. Maybe it's to work in our jail ministry when we can do that, right? Maybe it's to work with our at-risk youth, with our Twin Cities team, with the, with the elderly, with the seniors. When, when we can do that, I mean, coronavirus issues are, are kind of changing how we do that. But still, those are callings. Those aren't just, that sounds fun. God's calling you into a special thing. Maybe it's to be a dedicated prayer warrior. I'm just a prayer warrior. I'm sorry. Did you say just a prayer warrior? <laughs> Nehemiah was a prayer warrior, and he got busy. Never just a prayer warrior. Maybe it's to be a mentor to someone from up close or from a distance. Do you see how many things there are? He doesn't call all of us to be all of these things. We have shared calling, so many. We have individual callings that God calls you to, some short-term, some small, some longer-term, some bigger. But in all of these things, the shared and the individual callings, listen, you will face opposition. So be ready and expect it. And don't back off. That's the point. Oh, this gets hard. I, I, I shouldn't do that. No, it gets hard. You should do that. You should expect it. Because opposition's going to come, and it's going to come in many forms, and it will keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. The body blows. The body blows. The body blows are going to keep coming, so expect it. Don't respond with your emotions. That's the flesh. It's so easy to dash off something of anger or to just retreat in your insecurities. That leads to paralysis or, or overly strong reactions that will derail your focus. And so the call instead is to pray. <clears throat> We're right back to that basic word, to pray. That's where the power comes from, and that's where the pause and refocus moment comes. Here comes opposition. Okay, Lord. What's next? God's the one who will give you the wisdom and the power to overcome that opposition. And as it comes, we need to learn to ignore those small things. The things that come up, we're going to have those. I can either spend all my time putting out the little fires or I can keep making a difference in that thing that I'm called to do. The things, right? And then we need to deal with the big things head on. And it may not always be fun to do that, but it's better than pretending that they're not there. Because sometimes they just don't go away, do they? So get ready for battle. You may not actually have to battle like Nehemiah and, and the Hebrews. They didn't actually have to fight, but they were ready. You are a worker warrior. Don't take your eye off the goal. And remember, we're just going to end today where we started. 
Never let opposition keep you from doing what God calls you to do. Is your calling clear, at least some, in some ways? Is your expectation of opposition there, and do you have a plan in place so that we can be victorious and build the wall and get the kingdom work done that God calls us to do? And let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the love you give us. And, um, and how, much, how much care and how much patience and how much forgiveness is there for us, Lord. God, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Thank you that there is opposition. It would be easier if there wasn't, and yet I wonder, Lord, if it would be easier. When the opposition comes, Lord, we see that you develop in us character. And we, you develop perseverance in us and endurance and, and maturity, Lord, that wouldn't come if there wasn't that opposition. Uh, pray that you would help us respond in the ways that Nehemiah demonstrated, Lord, that we would pray, we wouldn't let the motions rule us. We'd be able to just ignore the small things, but deal with the larger things head on. And just know that those oppositions will keep coming that you've called us to be a worker warrior, that the important thing is that we're ready for opposition, but that we take ground, Lord, that we can move in the direction you called us to move, Father. So I pray that would happen today for each one of us, the different oppositions, the different things in our lives, God. Even the coronavirus has brought up ugliness sometimes in people around us, and, and it wants to bring ugliness in us as well over the debate over masks and, and all, the, all the controversy out there, Lord. May we understand that this is about prayer and this is about um, living like Jesus, being Jesus, loving others and loving you, Lord God. We want to focus on that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.